All right. Is this not the third time I said good morning? I think my hickey thing has shrunk. Yeah, I never had it. Somebody once said, I'd like to buy you a fancy pulpit. And I said, I don't need a fancy pulpit. But David, I might need a bigger one. I, you know, of all the times I've got two pages of notes I'm kind of doing off of today. So if I lose something, well, it could be a short sermon. Lose it. Go ahead. Just lose it. <laughs> hey, I want you to know something. I have total confidence today that today is going to be an awesome sermon. I, just, I know it. Ask me how I know. I'm glad you asked. Because one, I'm wearing my lucky tie. Let me tell you about my lucky tie. This is my lucky tie because one, it's my lucky color green. But two, my daughter, my baby daughter, Sarah, gave this to me like, she's like six or seven years old on Father's Day. And so I, I'll try to wear it every Father's Day. So I'm figuring the, you know, the favor of luck has got to be upon me today. I'm wearing my favorite daughter's tie with my favorite color. I can't lose today. It's incredible. That's not all. Then I've got my lucky socks on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and. See, I'm not taking anything for risk today. I, I've got the luck God with me. I have my power shirt on. I know to you it's just a white shirt. But this is just not any white shirt. This is a Brooks Brothers white shirt. This is what the guys, and yes, it was given to me, and yes, it was used when I got it, but that's my point. This is those who dress for success wear. Hello. And not to leave anything to chance, I have salt. And I've heard that if I throw this over my left shoulder, it's good luck. Now I'm ready to preach. Not. <laughs> Not. No, today we start our sermon series called Luck Commander. Amazingly, the same thing we have with Bible school. And so you might say, I said, well, I'm going to go out here and I think I will. Well, you know, in there, a Glenn Campbell song. You know, preaching from the dock in the bay. <sighs> anyway, so I was in the shower one day, and, and somebody had mentioned they wanted to do, you know, Duck Dynasty kind of thing. So I'm in the shower, and this word Duck Commander came to me. And I said, oh, wow, that would be a cool theme for VBS. And I even got the idea. I said, well, you know what? That would be a great sermon series theme. Luck Commander. Here's how it all comes about. And I think I shared this with you one time before. Not this part, but I'll, I'll share how. How did, how did Phil Robertson get the terminology Duck Commander? You know, I just kind of thought like he owned a company and he was CEO and he was the commander. But no, he was, fi- he was fishing. <laughs> he was duck hunting with a friend. And he had this unique, unique, ability, unique ability to, to call ducks. And so, you know, he started doing the duck call thing. And, and the ducks just started like flooding the pond, just coming down from the sky. And his friend looked at him and said, you know, you don't call ducks, you command them. And that's how he got the name Duck Commander. And and what we're going to look at the next, well, through this week in Bible school, you know, we Christians, I hope you understand that was all spoof. You know, believers don't, one, we shouldn't even believe in luck. And two, we shouldn't just not depend on luck because we've got something better than that. We've got the Luck Commander. In other words, we have a sovereign God who controls everything. 
And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about this incredible God that we have and, and how that, that, while some people try and believe that they, they have a lucky rabbit foot or something like that or a four-leaf clover or salt over the shoulder or don't walk under a ladder. Hey, Friday was even Friday the 13th. You know, all this. We don't have to worry about any of that because we have this incredible, incredible God, our sovereign God. So today, starting today, we're going to look at sovereign steps. And we're going to look at, and, and don't worry about the fact that the sermon's heavy on the front and light on the end. So if it seems to go a little bit long, don't worry about that because we're going to end up pretty short uh, in the end there. But we want to talk about how God directs the steps of the righteous person. We want to talk about that today. And then, after today, for the next five weeks, we're going to look at five different characters. We're going to look at a guy named Abraham in the Old Testament and how God worked to bring him to salvation, um, calling him, wooing him into a relationship, even though he was a pagan. Called him into relationship with God. Then we're going to move up to a famous guy named David. And how, how David was called, even though the most unlikely person to be king of Israel, how God worked in his steps to bring him to be the most famous king in all of Israel. Then we're going to jump forward on July the 6th, which happens to be Lord's Supper Day. And we're going to talk about the destiny of Jesus. Divine destiny. Uh, how, how he was driven to the cross, not on accident, it wasn't planned gone bad, but how God in his sovereignty directed that we could have forgiveness because God in the flesh was willing to pay the price for our sins. And then I think a very important lesson will be a week after that, which will be the 13th of July, and we're going to talk about Peter. You know, Peter, of all the guys that we should identify with, it should be Peter because Peter really had some miserable failures in his life. And I don't know about you, but i got plenty of those. And so we're going to talk about that failure doesn't have to be final. How God can even use failure to prepare us for his purposes. And then lastly, we're going to tie it all up with Paul being a mentor to a young preacher boy named Timothy. And how God used all that Paul went through, including his failures, to make him one in a position where he can mentor. So I think it's going to be a great series. And I hope you'll just mark your calendars down for 1015 all the way up through July the 22nd. Be here with us as we talk about Luck Commander, a God who's so powerful and so sovereign. So who is this God? Who, who exactly? You know, I, I didn't have this in the plan. It's not on the sermon sheet. But I said, you know, we really just take a few moments. They take a few moments because there'll be some people here, and you'll say, yeah, I know who God is, but do we really understand who God is and how powerful he is? And what really is God's sovereignty anyway? Now, you didn't come to church, I really believe this, you don't come to church to get academic, okay? But I found a really, really good definition of the sovereignty of God that ties in several key thoughts that I'd like to read to you. So bear with me if I sound a little academic, because y'all know I'm not. But um, bear with me just a few moments, because this really defines the sovereignty of God. Here's what it says. The sovereignty of God is the biblical teaching that, now listen carefully, all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. Now there's some key thoughts there. All things, all things, that God's control, all things. Nothing happens without his direction or permission. God works not just some things, but all things according to the counsel of his own will. His purposes are inclusive, all-inclusive, and never thwarted. Nothing takes him by surprise. I like that. You know, do you realize you can never throw God a surprise birthday party? Surprise? Whoops, I knew about it. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, you never have a situation in your life where God goes, whoops, you surprised me on that one. God can't be surprised. How, how wonderful and how cool um, is that? He goes on and says this, The sovereignty of God is not merely that God has the power and right to govern in all things, but that he does so always and without exception. In other words, 
God is not merely sovereign in principle, but sovereign in practice. I like that. Now, there are like eight zillion questions that that brings up, isn't it? I mean, wow. Like, you know, now let me tell you this. I just need to be really candid with you. I don't understand all this. I don't, I, I don't understand. You know, someone once said about the Trinity, you know, how that God is, God is Father, God is Son, and God is Spirit. And we try to explain it by He's like water, He's like liquid, He's like steam, He's like ice. And there is no adequate description of the Trinity. But a great foregone father said this. He said, you know, try to understand the Trinity and you will lose your mind. Don't understand or don't embrace the Trinity and you'll lose your soul. Well, this way it is with sovereignty of God. We will not get satisfactory answers about what if and what is. That's why I want you to come see the movie because I think it talks a little bit about that. Um, but, but in fact, though, we cannot deny the sovereignty of God. And here's the good part. That makes God so big. And I don't know about you. When my life, you know, when it comes to real crisis, I don't want a little God. I want a great big God. I want a God so big that I can't understand everything he does. That's how big I want my God to be. So, so if you leave here going, but what about, what about me too? Me too. We'll meet back in the back and have a little discussion because me too. There's a lot about God I will never, never, never understand until one day I meet Jesus face to face in a place called heaven. And then we'll get it all. All right? So, so God is sovereign. We got that. Listen to this. There's, I got several scriptures. Write these down. The guy's going to have them on the screen, I think. Um, Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Listen to this. Remember this and stand firm. This is God speaking. Recall it to mind. You transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. And that is from the Word of God, spoken by God, even though, again, Old Testament Scripture, speaking today that God's ultimate purpose will not be thwarted. He is in control. He has a plan that He's working out. I think a master plan, but also a plan in our lives that He is working out. Again, it's good to know that not Satan, not circumstances can change God's ultimate plan and for this world and for our lives. Now, let's bring it up to the New Testament. How about this? In Ephesians 1, 11 through 12, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Talking about Jesus. Being predestined according to the purpose of him, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That's so good. That's so powerful. Working out... His Jesus saying, working out Jesus' purpose in our lives. And you know, did you know Jesus is so much than a Savior? I mean, he did an awesome job on the cross when, when we were lost in our sins and, and God in the flesh took the cross and endured the wrath of God, atoned for our sins. He was able to say it was finished because our salvation was totally paid for. He did such a great job. But there's so much more to Jesus than that. Listen to this wonderful scripture um, from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, you want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Jesus was creator. Things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, or he has the preeminence over all things, and in him all things hold together. That's incredible. That means if it wasn't for Jesus, you would go out in the car after this is over, and all you find is a pile of molecules. You go, what happened to my Ford? Jesus quit holding it together. He holds the universe, the earth, all that there is. He holds it together. He gets the preeminence in it all. He's a savior, but he's so much more than that. He spoke and created all that. Isn't that just powerful? I mean, it's a really wonderful thing. And this is so good because seriously, you know, there are people that go, well, isn't it like Satan in control apart? Just a couple of thoughts. And again, I, we've got to be so careful for time. You know, but, you know, Satan was a created being. At one time, Satan, many believe, was the worship leader. He decided he had big enough pants to try to be like God, and God threw him out of heaven. That's where Satan came from. Why didn't God destroy him? Well, we'll find out in heaven. I just was that. But he chose not to do that. So that's where Satan came from, and a lot of angels followed him, and that's where all the demons came from. That's what the Bible says. But Satan was a created being, is what he was. And I love this. You know, Simon Peter was the guy who said, Jesus... You see these other guys? They'll all forget you. They'll all fail you. Not me, Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. And in it, we had this little nugget. And the Lord said, Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon. Indeed, listen, listen, listen. This is it. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Did you see it? Satan has asked. The thought and the concept that Satan has free shot at you is not biblical. Even the book of Job, the most wonderful book in the Old Testament about trial and patience and all that, we see that God has Satan on a leash. That, 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 that God uses Satan for his purposes. I know it's, isn't that radical? You don't think about that. But when you have an all-powerful, sovereign God, you begin seeing the clarity of that. So about Satan, Satan's not in control. Satan don't go and zap you. Because everything is under God's sovereign control, including the enemy. Including the enemy. Well, well what, about, what, about, um, what about circumstances? What about things like that? Well, again, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. There's a story about a guy named Joseph, and it was the most twisted story. His brother sold him into slavery. He ends up being the second in charge of all of Egypt. And the brothers come because there's a great famine. And he recognizes his brothers and gives them food after a long thing, reveals himself and says, Hi, this is Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Go get daddy. Brings daddy down. Daddy finally dies. And boy, the brothers are going, Oh, no, we sold him into slavery. He's been nice up now because of daddy, but now daddy's dead. And Joseph said, Be cool. Dwayne Taylor translation. Be cool. He said, I'm not God. He goes this. He said, you planned evil against me. You remember you sold me into slavery? Remember that? You planned evil against me. But God planned it for good to bring about the, res- the present result, the survival of many people. Because you see, if, if Joseph hadn't been sold into slavery, and if he hadn't been thrown into prison because of a lion wife, a Potiphar, if, if he hadn't been redeemed and made the chief jailer, if he hadn't interpreted some dreams, he'd never been in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh wouldn't have made him the second command, and God may use Joseph to feed all of Egypt and his family. You got about five minutes? Here's the story. 
today was incredibly busy. We got baby dedication going on, things going on, you know, preacher stuff that I have to do before. So I finally made it up to a Sunday school class. And Judy tells me two things. One, one of the families that said they're going to be dedicated, we think they've already been dedicated. And they're not even going to be here. I said, okay, that's not too bad. Two, one of the names is misspelled on one of the certificates. Not my fault. Not my fault. But one of the names is misspelled. So I said, okay, okay, give me the phone. I'll go down. I'm not going to give. She said, I told the family we could just give them a, a new certificate later. I said, we don't give out bad certificates. Give it to me. I'll go fix it in the office. And, and, that, and I'll hold the phone in case this other family texts and says, yes, we're doing it or not doing it. So I take my phone and my Bible down to my office. Now, I don't usually go to my office too much on Sunday mornings. I had run in and got the books and stuff that we gave away. Didn't even check. When I sit down at the computer to redo the certificate, the message slide is flashing. Now, again... Not too many people leave messages for me on the office entry machine. I usually call my cell phone. So I said, maybe, maybe this is a family, the family calling saying, hey, we are or not going to be dedicating the baby. So what did I do? I checked the message. And you know what it was? It was Tim Smith. A real good friend of ours from Cobden Days played a pretty important part in their lives and, and vice versa. Had open heart surgery this week and things went really bad. He started bleeding. He had a golf ball sized hole in his heart and they fixed it and then things went south and he bled out and they were able to get in. They opened him up right there in the room I heard today and got the stitch repaired but he's not regained consciousness. And today they're kind of meeting in the morning to see what's going to happen. And this message was from their son saying, hey, Mom wanted me to get a hold of you. She's got to talk with you right away about what's going on. Here's the point of the story. If the certificate had not been wrong, if the family had not text, or we didn't text the family to say, hey, are you or are you not going to be a part of the baby dedication, I wouldn't have had Judy's phone. I wouldn't have seen the message. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I believe with all my heart that God will be pattern today. And there's going to be a phone call this afternoon with this family to see if I can help them in this difficult time. That was no accident. And here's the great part. Are you looking at me? God does it for you too. Sometimes it's obvious. And sometimes it's not. I can't tell you the times when a person's gone into surgery for one thing and they find another. I can't tell you the times when, when, when they plan this career and another career develops. I'm telling you, we serve a wonderful, sovereign God. And just like it says in Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, if you're here today, you're probably saying, yeah, but, you know, I'm not very good. You know? We know what Jesus said in Matthew 5.20. Here's the Dwayne Taylor translation. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Now, they were like super good religious. I mean, they were, like, they were like way religious. And Jesus says to the people there that unless your righteousness exceeds them, you'll never make it to heaven. And so you know what they did? They go, well, I'm in deep weeds. I, I can never be as good as the Pharisees because they keep all the rules. And you know what Jesus, God's word spoke through, through Paul said this. Let me read it to you. I always leave a part out of it, and it's such a significant part. 
It says this, For he became sin, or he made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can I read it again? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us on the cross, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And if you are a Christ follower today, do you understand something? That you and Jesus struck a bargain. He said, I'll take your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. And I'm looking at some righteous brothers. And I'm looking at some righteous sisters today. And we don't understand that because we think our righteousness has to be based on how good we perform. There's no indication in the scriptures of a performance salvation. It is by God's amazing, wonderful grace. And look at me. You are good today if you know Jesus. But not your own goodness. You bear the goodness of Christ. And and therefore, God works and orders, establishes the steps of a good man. He works in him. He works through him. He, He plans a path. For him, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And then it says this. And he, God, delights in his way. Now, I know different translations have that different ways, but that's the gist of it. And God delights in his way. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? God delights. See, you remember the, if y'all are, if you're a child of the 60s and 70s, you remember, now I know some, Jeremy Bennett made me feel very old this week. I was sharing with him that in 1972, June 12th, Thursday, I was sharing with him that I enlisted in the Air Force in 1972. And Jeremy goes, my, we meet every Wednesday, we're prayer buddies. And he goes, 72 is a very significant day for me too, a year for me too. I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah, I was born that year. <laughs> I wanted to say, would you get me the wheelchair now? Why wait? <laughs> That's incredible. But, but see, God delights in our paths. He delights in our ways. In, in the 60s and 70s, probably 80s maybe, there's a little book called God Has a Wonderful Plan for Your Life. And we kind of chuckle at that. But you know what? Look at me. He does. He honestly does. He really does have. Tim, he really has a wonderful plan for your life. He delights in your way. Now, again, yes, it's Old Testament. Yes, it's spoken to the nation of Israel. But yes, its connotation pertains to us today. In Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This wonderful sovereign God who loved you so much that he paid for your salvation, who loved you so much, he made it possible for every black man, white man, brown man, yellow man, the men who have a really checkered past, men would think they were pretty clean, um, men who have messed up royally, men who have think they're pretty good. He made it possible, if you're willing to turn from your sin, that he made it possible that his son Jesus paid for that. Atone for our sins. He made it possible. And because of that, here's all I've got to plan. I've got plans to give you hope and a future. I've got plans, and I don't think prosperity gospel, to prosper you. And in the sense and the value of the kingdom. These kids will all be raised in different circumstances, different economic situations, different homes. 
But every one of those parents knows Jesus Christ as Savior. Guys, mom and daddy, grandma and grandpa, great-grandma, I'm telling you, God has a plan to prosper that family. He has a plan. The sensibility of it all is us following the plan. Saying, God, what is your plan? God, how do you want to work out uh, this plan in my life? And I think that's where we kind of miss it. I don't think we necessarily think we're smarter than God. I just think we get so busy. And we stop, we, we, we run past God and His plan for our lives. And we just pause long enough to just step back a moment and give God a moment. He will show, I believe, often His plan for us. Certainly His Word will tell us how we can be better parents. How can we be better employee? Uh, how can we be better dad or mom or mom or dad or parent or, or husband or wife or, or whatever? But we've got to pause because God has a plan. He, he delights in our paths. What does that look like? How does that play out? These are such familiar scriptures that some of you guys, and some of you may go, well, I've never heard that before. But you know, Romans 8, 28, a much-used scripture, really says a whole lot. And you need to remember this. Let me read it to you again. Just, I know you know it, but let me read it to you. And we know. We don't think. We don't ponder it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So for those of us who have, who have made the decision to follow Christ and turn from our sin, that God brings good. Now, not everything that happens is good. Have you lived long enough to know that? Was 9-11 good? Was the death of your child good? Was the death of your husband good? No. But what God promises is, for those who love Him and follow Him, He has the, the wonderful ability to bring good out. You know, some of the things that happened in my life, I know that I've been able to be a better pastor and counsel to you because of some areas I failed in or maybe succeeded in. So all things work together for good to those who love God who are called according to His purpose. That you can count on God in the most difficult situation to bring some kind of good, some kind of good out of a situation. Okay, now, verse 29 doesn't get the playtime it deserves. Here's what it says. For whom He foreknew, that would be us, who know Jesus, He also predestined, here you go, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Could you kind of break that down for me, Dwayne? Sure. It kind of gives God's plan for you. That we might be conformed to the image of His Son. So, the next time something happens in your life, okay, I kind of like this. We may have to leave this up, dude. I mean, I feel like I'm there. <laughs> I feel like Jimmy Swagger. <laughs> All I need is my microphone in my hand. <laughs> So the next time something happens in your life and you're going, God, what are you doing? Especially, I'm talking about the, the followers. We may not know that, okay? Fair. But we do know this. One, God will bring good somehow from it, either immediately or down the road a little bit, maybe a lot. But two, he is working to conform you to the image of his son. Now, not just to make you a goody-two-shoes, but come on now. Haven't you been through, if you're a Jesus follower, hasn't there been some things in your life that you've gone through, and about a year or two or six months or four weeks afterward, someone walks up and says, I'm going through such and such. 
and you're able to say, let me tell you what just happened in my life. And that is like a wide open door for you to tell about God. And see, Jesus was the master God teller. Come on, am I right? He's the master. In fact, if you want to see God, you see Jesus because he was God in the flesh. So when, when the word says in Romans that we're to be conformed to the image, that's talking about spiritually. Okay, we are because we have this righteousness. But also we have the opportunity to serve like he would serve, to share like he would share. God works in that. So that's how this, this great delightful plan plays out, to be more like the image of his son. And then it comes down to this. What about it when we fail? Any failures here? Because see, look what it says in verse 24a. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Sometimes that's a, a Galatians 6.1 thing. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, and that word overtaken means ambushed. Some of you might say, well, I've been ambushed before. All of us have. Sometimes it's the big one. It's, it's the Second Samuel 11 grievous sin. And David saw her naked and said, bring her to me. Some of you have morally failed. Been there? Uh, for some of you, it's a, it's, a, it's a Peter failure. I don't know him. Never saw him before in my life. What, what Galilean accent? For some of you, it's just not being the mom, not being the dad, not being the husband, not being the wife. Not, not, not. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. I like that. You know why I like that? Because I fail enough to appreciate that I will not be utterly cast down. That God doesn't say, listen, you, somebody needs to hear this today. That you don't sit there, that God's not up in heaven going, that's one. That's strike two, three, you're out. You're, the, the relationship's severed. The deal's over. The covenant's broken. You're done. That sovereign God I keep telling you about doesn't know quitting on his children. Knows I said his children. That you've been truly born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Turning from your sin. Once you're in the family, you're in. And if you fail, God's not going to leave you He's not going to forsake you either. He, he, even though you, you fail miserably, you will not be finished. I love this. I love this. The last part of 24. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. And we're going to talk about that in the week of Peter. That failure with God is not final. Talking to the believer in Christ. This is so powerful. That when I, when I go to trip, I stumble spiritually, boy, his hand's there. When I fall in the mud puddle, his hand's there. He knows doesn't say, Dwayne holds on to God. It's okay. You can't hold on to God. You could, listen, you couldn't earn your salvation in the first place, and you sure can't keep it. If you're holding on to God, you are in deep weeds. It's not the way it works. He upholds me with his, in one translation said it, with his strong arm. Jesus, if it's really you, Peter said, 
Let me come out into the water. Jesus was walking on water. Not too many people did that in those days. You know, let me come out to the water. Jesus said, come on. Jesus steps, or Peter steps out of the boat, starts walking on the water. It's doing pretty good. But he gets his eyes off Jesus, starts seeing the waves that they're boisterous and the wind that is flowing. And he begins to sink. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, save me. And Peter was taken by the hand of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus reached out to Peter and took him back to the boat. That's the kind of God I'm talking about. I'm talking about a God when I'm about to drown. He doesn't leave me doing dog paddles in the water. I'm talking about a God when I failed miserably. He doesn't disown me as his child but reaches down to pick me up because he loves me. Now, what kind of God you got? But I'm glad that God is a God of grace. A God of mercy. And a God of love. That's, what, that's the God we want to talk about. Now, I need to kind of give fair play. Free, you know, got to do that. Does God discipline his children? He sure does. Not to punish. Not out of anger but to help us come home. I gave my... We were talking, Becca. Becca accused me of spanking her with a bell. Can you imagine that? That's because you didn't give me the lucky tie. <laughs> She's been jealous of Sarah ever since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, God disciplines. But He never stops loving. Oh, if I could... At the end of five more weeks... If we could come to the conclusion just how wonderful, how great God is and how much He loves us and how much He's trying to work this sovereign plan in our lives, it will be an incredible series, perhaps most important in this church year. So, so let me throw this out to you. Someone saw the scripture on the I think it was Buddy, and said, said, this is a great verse, one of my favorite verses. I said, Buddy, it's my life verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight. So what's the bottom line? Dwayne, where are you going with this? Well, first off, if you've never come to grips with your sin, and the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody's a sinner. Every person in here is a sinner. Okay? Anybody tries to say they ain't, they're just lying to you. All right? We've all sinned. And all of us can't do anything about that sin besides do and receive what Jesus has already done. Jesus died on the cross that people like you and me could have forgiveness of sins and come to a relationship with God. It involves believing Jesus, who He is and what He did. It, believe, it involves turning from your sin and going the opposite direction. It involves a commitment to follow Christ. That's the short story. That's the short story. So, my bottom line is this. If you're here today and... You say, I've never heard this before. You know, I had a pastor once tell me to keep the rules. I had a pastor once tell me to be good. I had a pastor once say if I get baptized. That's just not biblical. <laughs> What's biblical is, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that now yourselves. It's the gift of God, not the works, lest any man should boast. And if you've never experienced that, my friend Brent will be standing down front. And we would love to share with you about God's amazing grace. And he has a plan that he wants to work out in your life. And the bottom line is this. I've been doing this long enough to know this. There are, that questions about God really bother people. How could? What about? What about? 
Old Andy Stanley shared something one time I've never forgotten. I, I've worded it in different ways. But it goes something like this. Are you going to believe the undeniable or turn to the unexplainable? People say, I can't believe this because I can't explain it. I choose to believe the undeniable even though I may not understand it. And I'm telling you, this book that's proven itself through thousands of years is undeniable. I, don't, I can't explain it all. I can't explain why God allows or doesn't allow certain things. I'm probably going to have a conversation this afternoon with a family that I'll have to say, I don't understand. But we can trust God because God is sovereign. God's character is good. Uh, we, we often tagline our, our prayers with, with, for our good and your glory. It's what God's all about. So are you going to stay with the undeniable or turn away and say, because I can't explain it, I refuse to believe it. I hope you won't. I hope you'll stick with the undeniable. That God is God. That God is sovereign. And that God's working out His plan for the world. But for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you very, very much for the privilege of sharing your word today. Oh, I pray, Father, first, I just pray that part of what was said today is speaking to the hearts of these people. Father, there might be someone here who's never heard the great truth about salvation, that we don't earn it, we receive it. That's not by our works, but by your grace that we are saved. I pray that that person would receive this awesome gift of forgiveness even today. Father, can we be honest with you today? And we, we will, we will, because you know our hearts. There's so much about you we don't understand. I know people who are discouraged, disheartened, because of things that have happened and they just can't understand why. Father, I'm willing to accept that, that we don't know why. And sometimes we get disheartened. But by faith, but by faith, but by faith, may we believe and trust you. Father, there's someone here who feels like because they failed, they're disqualified. Because they failed, Father, that you've cast them away. May they have heard the truth today that because of grace, failure doesn't have to be final. I pray, Father, for restoration of hearts. Restorations of minds and that. So God, thank you for your word, for this opportunity to share. Now, during this decision time, I'm asking that you have your way. And Jesus, I pray this in your most precious name. Amen.